ingenious Jews looking for a way to make a profit came up with a scheme of how they could get those animals available and they could sell them to the pilgrims coming to experience the Passover. What makes Jesus really mad? Welcome to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. All of us can relate to Jesus when He's gentle, meek, and mild, but we can learn a lot about Him through His angry side too. Today, David continues our study of the Gospel of John. We'll be focusing on the second chapter in a message called Fiery Jesus. Well, let me begin today by sharing with you a little bit of my history. Uh, many of you know I'm a preacher's kid. and was raised in a preacher's home, and many people thought I would become a preacher like my dad, and I didn't want any part of it. I fell in love with a game called basketball early on, and I pursued a round ball rather than the pulpit. Um, and I accepted Jesus, though, as a senior in high school at a Fellowship of Christian Athletes conference. I came to understand that my sin was great and Jesus' grace was greater. I stared at the cross, knew my sin needed to be forgiven, and, and I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I was pardoned from all of my sin. Uh, President Trump, before he left office this week, pardoned over 150 people from their particular sins, and it means they can never be tried for those crimes again. They're washed away. They are pardoned in full. Their penalties are paid in full, and, and that's what Jesus did for us on the cross. He took our sins upon himself so that he pardons us of our sin. Well, I came to realize that in high school, and my life was never the same. But I continued to pursue basketball and broadcasting and basketball coaching. I looked at anything and everything until the Lord backed me into a corner and said, son, don't you know that I created you to preach my gospel? But not only that, folks, but to preach my gospel in my church. Uh, when I came to the understanding that Jesus was calling me into the ministry of the local church, I realized, first of all, the power of the local church. The local church is really the hope of the world as a group of people get together to serve their community. That came very clear to me, but also how much Jesus loves his church. Uh, there's an old hymn that my dad's church used to sing all the time, called the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride, and with his blood he bought her, and for her life he died. It became very clear to me one day, right after I'd accepted the call into the ministry, and we were singing that hymn at my dad's church, how much Jesus loves his church. He died to give his church life. Uh, so, for example, sometimes I joke with you and say, to say to me, David, I like you, but I don't like Marilyn, the woman that I've loved for 40-plus years, is ridiculous. You can't love me and not love the woman I love most in the world. Similarly, you can't say, I love Jesus. I know he paid the price for me on the cross. My sins are forever pardoned, but I just don't like the local church. I don't like the bride of Christ. You can't say that because... Jesus died for the church's life, and if you love Jesus, you've also got to love his bride. And I came to realize that. I went into seminary in 1976. For four years, I earned my master's and my doctorate degrees preparing for church ministry, and I came to a church here in town back in 1980. And I loved that church, and Marilyn and I 
built a lot of what that church stood for and what they moved on in the community and serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And we loved the local church and loved that particular local church. But during that time period, we were denominational, and I began to see the denomination start lurching to the left, start fudging on biblical truths and values that I just couldn't in my conscience understand. So about 11 years into that ministry, we left that denomination and entered one that was evangelical. At that point in the early 90s, evangelical meant a commitment to the Word of God, absolutely. It also meant a commitment to the power of the Holy Spirit and a commitment to world missions to bring the gospel to everyone in the world. So we committed ourselves to that evangelical denomination and local church and continued to see it grow and thrive ultimately to become six campuses with a 20-plus million-dollar budget and a lot of excitement in the church. But something really began to bother me about four or five years ago, even when I was the pastor there. I began to see in America what we call evangelicals start lurching to the left. The very same thing I saw in the late 70s and 80s with the major denominations all throughout America. And by the way, you see each one of them slowly but surely slipping in numbers and a lot of very important and intellectual church historians are predicting that within 50 years there won't be a major denomination in America. They'll just go off into oblivion and shrink into nothing because people are leaving at large numbers. Well, several years ago, I began to see that same thing begin to happen in the evangelical church, and it started breaking my heart, and I committed myself even more powerfully and passionately to preach the word of the Lord, calling people to holiness, calling people to obey what the Bible clearly teaches about life, beginning at conception, about what marriage is between a man and a woman, what gender is just to a man and a woman, and I taught those things with pure passion, and then my last sermon at the former place was In 2018, January, right after New York State had passed that hideous abortion law where they said that a second before a child is born, you can go in and crush its skull and kill that child. And I said, that is awful and sin in the sight of God. Even though the New York legislator lit up buildings at night after that decision, even though on January the 22nd, 2018, when that decision was made, the people applauded and sang songs of joy because that decision had been made. My heart was broken and many other people's hearts were broken. And folks, within a week, I was asked to leave that church. Within a week. And I don't know if it's associated or not. I, I, I never knew. I don't even know to this day what all it was. But I do know that that was my last passionate sermon. I do find it interesting, folks, that one year later, on January the 22nd, 2019, the first case of COVID-19 happened in New York City. One year to the day after they celebrated that hideous decision regarding life and abortions. One year to the day, the first COVID exposure happened, and of course, New York City has been the major place where people have died in our nation accordingly. I don't think God was pleased with that position, and yet when I have watched the church, they have more and more adopted those kind of beliefs as a part of their perspectives, even what is called the evangelical church. So Moments of Hope Church was formed out of a lot of agony, out of a lot of prayer, out of a lot of seeking of God. We 
were birthed and we have renewed our commitment to the word of God to teach God's truth no matter what. Might it be that the government will come against us one day? Might it be that we have to suffer persecution? My response, well, welcome to what most of the church throughout the world is presently experiencing. Churches that stand for truth are going through difficult times all over the world. And we are going to be a church that is faithful in every possible way. I love Jesus with all of my heart. I love the local church with all of my heart. I love Moments of Hope Church with all of my heart. You can't love Jesus and not love the local church. And it's not just a building. It's a group of people who come together. But we do need a building as we've discovered a place where those people can come together. Now, God knew the importance of a building, and he knew the importance of people coming together to worship him as well. When he called the nation of Israel to come together, and they finally got into the promised land, and kings were chosen, after King David passed the reins on to Solomon, Solomon had as a passion, as his dad did as well, but God wouldn't let David build the temple. He wanted Solomon to do it because David had too much blood on his hands as a man of war. And so David and Solomon raised the money, and Solomon built the temple. It was glorious. Some people have suggested it was a 30 billion, yes, billion dollar enterprise. It was glorious with gold and silver and bronze and all kinds of precious stones and metals throughout the entire building. It was something to behold. And what's even more so that's amazing is the Shekinah glory. And if you don't know that word, S-H-E-K-I-N-A-H, Shekinah glory of the Lord descended on the temple after it was built. And in the Holy of Holies, where there was the Ark of the Covenant, where there was the presence of God, there was smoke, there was the presence of God that caused lightning and a sense of his awe and presence like no other. And the people of God committed themselves to follow right temple worship as was outlined in the word of the Lord. But as it would happen over decades and after Solomon's death, the kingdom split and people started inviting all kinds of pagan worship into the temple of the Lord. And God warned in his word that if indeed you don't follow me and you invite this pagan worship into my temple, I will destroy the temple and take you away. And that's exactly what happened with Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian captivity. The people were taken into the captivity. The walls around Jerusalem were destroyed and the temple itself was destroyed. So the first temple built by Solomon Solomon in all of its splendor was raised to the ground by the Babylonians because of the disobedience of the people, because they started following the ways of the world, because they started adopting the pagan practices of the world. So after 70 years in the Babylonian captivity, different groups started coming back. You, you see in the book of Haggai, for example, and Zechariah, and also Ezra, different Old Testament books where they describe the rebuilding of the temple. When the people came back, they rebuilt the walls. That's the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. And they rebuilt the temple, those books I just mentioned to you. It never had the former glory of Solomon's temple, but it was a place for the people to come together and to worship the Lord. And that second temple stayed around for 400 plus years until Herod the Great, right before Jesus' birth, started adding on to it, making it more splendorous, making it more glorious, and the temple began to take on new forms of beauty and perfection. Well, in Jesus' day, the second temple had been rebuilt over like a 46-year time period by King Herod, 
And Jesus went to the temple during his lifetime, right at the beginning of his ministry, and he found the temple had once again begun to lurch to the left. Once again, it began to practice like a pagan place, not the temple of God himself. Today's story is about the cleansing of the temple by Jesus. Please note, as I said in my prayer before we began this message, that this is the first of two cleansing of the temples. This is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He also cleanses it at the end of his ministry, right before he goes to the cross. It must have been very important for him for people not only to love the Lord God with all their heart, soul, mind, and might, and love their neighbor as themselves, but love the temple, love this place of worship, love this place where the people of God come together and can praise and pray and hear the word of the Lord. Now, with all of that background information having been given to you, today's text is John, the second chapter, and we'll start with verse 12 and go through verse 22. Follow along with me these powerful, wonderful verses. After this, in verse 12, well, after what? (laughs) After the changing of the water into wine that we saw last week in the story at Cana of Galilee. After this, Jesus went down to Capernaum. Notice he went down to Capernaum. Remember, Cana was a small little mountainous town, an impoverished area, um, some 1,300 feet above sea level, and right at the edge of it, it dropped right down to the Sea of Galilee where Capernaum is uh, located. So after Jesus changed the water into wine, after the wedding feast was over, he went down to Capernaum, which was his headquarters in Galilee. Uh, you see a lot of what he did in the future happened out of Capernaum, and some of his disciples were actually from that city. And he went there with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples and they stayed there a few days. Now, notice that Jesus' mom was at the wedding feast in Cana of Galilee. We saw that last week. Evidently, some of his brothers were there as well. And for those of you who may not know it, no matter what you've been taught in your particular theological background, Jesus had brothers and sisters. Now, he was the firstborn to Mary and Joseph, impregnated by the power of the Holy Spirit, But after he was born, Joseph and Mary obviously had relations, and they had four other brothers and two other sisters. So Jesus had brothers and sisters who walked around with him that he probably loved and cared for deeply. Uh, We know the names of two of his brothers, James, the one who wrote the book of James in the Bible, and Jude, the one who wrote the book of Jude in the Bible. So we see that Jesus had brothers, had sisters, had a mom. Joseph is probably dead by this point, and he loved them dearly. And they went to Capernaum where they stayed for a few days. Verse 13, the Passover of the Jews was at hand. So this is the high holy season in Jerusalem. And Jesus is now going to go up to Jerusalem. You'll see that from Capernaum to Jerusalem is a trek upward. And especially where the temple was built on the Temple Mount, that was a mountain that Jesus had to go up to. So the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. This very significant. 
very important holy day of the year where people would come and they would bring their pure, unblemished animals to be sacrificed, the blood shed by these animals for atonement, for the forgiveness of their sins. People from all over the area, Jews would walk 50, 60, 80 miles to come to the Passover celebration at the temple. But not only that, many godly Gentiles who were God-seekers, if you will, spiritual seekers, uh, maybe not committed totally to the Jewish faith. Some of them probably were, but they came to Jerusalem as well to experience this magnificent holy feast, holy day in this reconstructed second temple, especially being reconstructed by Herod himself. Then verse 14, in the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. So if people had to walk 50, 60, 80 miles, or even for a Gentile beyond that, they could not bring with them the necessary pure, unblemished sheep or oxen or pigeons in order to sacrifice them. It was just too burdensome for them to be able to do so. So, ingenious Jews looking for a way to make a profit came up with a scheme of how they could get those animals available and they could sell them to the pilgrims coming to experience the Passover. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Coming up, David joins me in a conversation about Davidisms. These are phrases and sayings that he's learned through life that can help all of us build character and a closer walk with Jesus. We'll be right back. I'm Mark McManus with Moments of Hope Church's Ministry Minute, focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. With me in the studio today is Tony Marciano, Executive Director of the Charlotte Rescue Mission. Tony, tell us about the Charlotte Rescue Mission. Mark, at the Charlotte Rescue Mission, everything we do is about transformation. With a focus on individuals struggling with addiction, we uniquely work from the inside out to address the root cause. And we accomplish that by providing professional, Christian, residential recovery services free of charge. Now let me back up for just a moment and explain all that to you. When I say the word transformation, I get those marching orders from John 6, very interesting chapter of the Bible, where on day one, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. That night, the disciples float across the lake. Jesus follows them by walking across the lake, and the next day, the crowd gets in boats and follows them. But on day two, Jesus chooses not to feed them and begins to preach at them, and they all leave. I think in that one chapter, it's the heart of God for the poor, where God says on day one, I love you so much, I accept you just as you are. But day two, God is saying, I love you too much to leave you there. And that's the hard work of transformation that we focus on every day at Charlotte Rescue Mission. I mentioned we uniquely work from the inside out to address the root cause. And that root cause is shame. Guilt is when I make a mistake, but shame says I am a mistake. And if you knew me, you wouldn't like me. And if God knew me, God wouldn't like me. And then I wrapped it up by saying we address this by providing professional, free, Christian residential recovery services. I like to use the verses out of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18, where the Apostle Paul says that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth. And verse 19 says, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God. Mark, I believe firmly that when someone realizes that God's love is four-dimensional, not three-dimensional, not conditional, 
but unconditional. When they have that aha moment that God loves them, all the shame in their soul goes away because they know they are fully accepted by God. Not for what they've done, but simply because God loves them. And that's what we do every day at Charlotte Rescue Mission. Love to have you get involved. Please go to our webpage, charlotterescuemission.org, for ways that you can impact the people we serve. I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thank you so much for being with us today. It's great being with you, Jen. Thank you for your support and your involvement with this wonderful uh, broadcast. It's such a joy. Well, in your morning e-devotions, you've recently started a series that you're calling Davidisms. I'd love to know about how they started and what we can look forward to in the days ahead. Well, Jen, you can imagine that in over 40 years of ministry and just life in general, I've learned a lot. And there are pithy phrases that I have learned through the years that I often refer to in sermons. People affectionately have called them Davidisms. And I use them often. They're easy to remember, and they're probably what people remember most about all my preaching and speaking through the years. So uh, over the past several years especially, I've had some people come to me and say, you ought to put those Davidisms down on paper. Uh, So I've been motivated to do so. And thinking about this time that we have together with the broadcast and having these, you know, four minutes or so at the end of the broadcast time to speak to people's hearts, you know, from my heart to theirs, uh, I've decided to put these Davidisms down on paper, but also to use them as a part of this broadcast altogether. Mm -hmm. And now these phrases are things that I've been taught by mentors like my dad and coaches and teachers. They're phrases I've learned others say through the years, and I've probably forgotten a lot from where I've Mm -hmm. heard them. They're quotes I've read and have adjusted to my own life or to the people's lives to whom I'm preaching. And occasionally, there's something I've even thought up myself (laughs) (laughs) that people say, I like that one as well. And I think people, again, appreciate these statements because they're easy to remember, yet profound in their veracity. All all truth is God's truth. And when God's truth is learned and applied, life is richer and more meaningful. All of the Davidisms will have some biblical foundation Mm -hmm. because, you know, God's truth is found in his word. So if you're listening right now and you're a parent, feel free to use these Davidisms with your kids. Or if you're mentoring anyone in any way, again, use them as you wish. Uh, They were given to me to guide me in my own life, and unlike no other time in human history, do we need practical common sense to guide our thoughts and actions. You know, at the formation of our country, a gentleman by the name of Thomas Paine wrote a book called Common Sense, and it was just common sense insights into how to live life. It's sold in exponential numbers. I think we're there again today. People just need and want some common sense advice Mm -hmm. on how to live my life, how to raise my kids, how to confront this crazy culture. Mm -hmm. These Davidisms are my attempt to do 
so. So here we go, Jen. Over the next probably year plus, mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to give people these dev- Davidisms that I have learned through the years. Again, they come from my heart to yours. Everyone, listeners, I hope you enjoy them, but mostly I hope you'll live by them. Well, I'm so excited to hear what you have to share with us this coming um, broadcast. Thank you so much for sharing your heart with us. Yeah, and everyone, not only will they be a part of this broadcast, but they are written in form. And if anybody would like to have them sent to their inbox every morning, simply go to momentsofhopechurch.org. You can subscribe to my daily blogs, which will be these Davidisms for the next year plus, and they'll arrive in your inbox around 7 a.m. every morning. Again, from my heart to yours to help you begin your day with a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. Today's message on the Gospel of John is from our online worship service. And you can be a part of our service each Sunday morning at both 9 and 11 o'clock by going to momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. And also check out David's weekly Hopecast. They're both free and available through our website. Again, that web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for the spiritual leadership in our country.